So we're in uh, our series still on loving our neighbor and what that means, how to practically walk that out with skill and wisdom and love. And today I want to tell you something that is the opposite, 180 degree opposite of what the world is now telling people. I want to tell you this morning that your relationships define who you are. The world tells its people, you get to define who you are. Even if you want to be a man and you're a woman, you can be a man. If you're white and you want to be black, you can be black. You get to choose who you are. You get to define who you are. God says, the people in your life who relate to you get to tell you who you are. You don't get to choose who you are. God says, I created you male and female. And I am the one who gets to say who you are. And then he created Adam. And then he created Eve. And he brought Eve to Adam. And what happens? Adam tells Eve who she is. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, the mother of all living. And Adam named Eve. He's the one who gave her her name. People... In your life that you are related to, either family or friends or the people you have to deal with, we tell you who you are, not the other way around. You don't get to tell us who you are. Adam named Eve, not the other way around. What, what does this look like? It means that you don't get to call yourself wife until you are in a relationship that makes you a wife. The relationship defines who you are. You don't get to call yourself mama or daddy until there is somebody who calls you mama or daddy. Relationship creates who you are. Are you with me? Other people in your life tell you who you are. You don't get to tell who you are. We don't get to define ourselves. We don't get to create ourselves. We are created and defined by God and we are created and defined by the relationships that we have. What the world says is, if you were born a male but you want to be a female, then go right ahead. Or if you were born with white skin but you want to be black, then go ahead and say you're black. And You can just ignore biology and reality and, and define yourself and say who you are. But God says, I say who you are, and the people who I have put in your life get to say who you are. And doing it yourself is really sick and twisted. For example, if a man decides, I will be the lover of this woman, but there is no relationship, we call that rape. But if she says, you are my lover, we call that marriage. Romance. Love. Because there is a relationship. That she defines him. We do not get to impose ourselves. We don't choose our own identity. We don't get to impose ourselves on other people. The relationship that they have with us defines who we are. When two women meet for the first time, it will not be very long before they know how many kids and grandkids they have. 
Right, women tend to define themselves by their relationships. We men tend to define ourselves more by what we do. If two stranger men meet, we will know within five minutes where we work and how many large game animals we have killed. <laughs> or what we drive, you know, or something. We, men define ourselves really by what we do, but women define by relationship. And it's not that men are wrong, it's just, uh, or that women are more right. It's just that it is true that when we men introduce ourselves as I'm a logger or I'm a pastor or I'm a truck driver or I'm a teacher, that's what we do. It's not really who I am. But when a woman says I am a grandma to six kids, well, that is something you are. I am a father. I am a mother. So relationships define us because the people who call you grandma and grandpa are pretty special people. Those people are defining who you are by calling you that name. Right? Okay? So your relationships create you. Your relationships define you. And you can't say that you are this if there isn't anybody else that calls you that. I can't say I am a husband if I don't have a wife. I was not a dad until I had kids that called me dad. So the definition of who we are really is grandma and daddy and auntie and lover and mama and grandpa and sister and son and daughter. And that is infinitely more meaningful than trucker or student or clerk or line worker or accountant. Those our jobs are super important and significant. It's just not who we are. It's what we do. So I'm here this morning to talk about more of relationship, how to love our neighbor. This is Sunday 6 of this series. The first two Sundays we talked about hospitality and eating together. God says you commune with me and you commune with each other. You create relationship by eating together, by being together and relating, having parties, having fun. Um, The next two Sundays, we talked about taking care of people around us, the poor or the lonely, those without families. We watched uh, three Sundays ago was a man called Norman. If you weren't here that Sunday and you want to borrow my video, I would highly recommend that you see it. And then the next Sunday, I talked to you about Jesus' orchard, that there are some broken trees out there that can still bear pretty good fruit. And there are broken people out there who don't need sawed off and thrown into the fire. They just need some support. Because their fruit can still taste pretty good, even if they're broken. And then last Sunday I talked to you about friendship. That, that the ultimate goal of all of our relating is, is uh, to have a deep relationship. A real close friendship with a few people. We don't need uh, eight or ten close friends. And if you think you have them, you don't have any. But you have one or two or three very, very close friends. Or that's the goal anyway. So today I want to talk to you about how do we get there? How do we go from stranger to acquaintance to friend? Basically just some really practical, everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten kind of stuff on how to relate to people. Proverbs says a good name is worth more than gold. Another translation says a good reputation is worth more than gold. So a perverted hypocrite person will read that verse and say okay I have to look good in public I have to keep everybody happy I have to do what everybody else wants so that I can have a good reputation 
But you, 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 if you know any of the Bible at all, you know God's not into hypocrisy. That having a good reputation in God's definition means you have good integrity in your heart also. That you are the same person in private as you are in public. And that you are not putting up a public front and then being somebody else in private. So when the Bible says a good name is worth more than gold, or a good reputation is worth more than gold has nothing to do with a public reputation versus the private real you. But it's still Scripture, and it's true. And God says the most valuable thing you can have is a good name with other people. Obviously, we can't please everybody. We can't keep everybody happy. We can't make everybody like us. But a good reputation with the right people is the most valuable thing you can have. God says it's more valuable than money. Are you with me? Well, what's a good name? It means that other people speak good about you. What does that mean? You are in right relationship with lots of people. Good connection, good relationship, other people's good opinion of you is super valuable. And somebody's out there, well, I thought we weren't supposed to care what other people think about us. The Bible never says that. God says, do not fear man. Don't be afraid of other people. Oh, what will they think if I do this? Never define what is right and wrong based on what other, how other people might react. That's the fear of man, is to do what is wrong or what violates your conscience or what disobeys God because of what other people will think. So obeying God will make us look weird or stupid or rejected sometimes. But most of the time, doing the right thing will win a good opinion, at least amongst God's people. The world may not like it, but God's people mostly, usually, will speak well of you when you do the right thing, most of the time. So when God says a good name or a good reputation is worth more than gold, that's not a public reputation or a front we put on. It is the fact that we are in good standing with a lot of good people means you have been successful in your relationships. You have been successful in loving your neighbor, which is what Jesus said is the very most important thing. Love God and love your neighbor. So when we talk about being in, having a good name or being in good relationship, it, the only goal is not reputation, not... Uh, keeping people happy. The goal is to be in good, healthy, peaceful relationships with the people around us. So those who would say, well, I don't care what other people think about me. I'm just going to be me and they can like it or not. Well, guess what? It's probably not a lot of people that like you and it isn't their fault if that's your attitude. We have to care what other people think. You don't love them if you don't. All right, That doesn't stop us from doing what is right because so-and-so would not like it. But we have to care what other people think. To want to love people well, to want others to love us, to desire strong and meaningful and safe and fulfilling relationships is normal and healthy and sane, and it is loving. The people who throw around, I don't care what people think about me, are usually very wounded, very defensive, and they're really nasty people. 
who don't have a lot of friends and they're trying to justify it or spiritualize it. Not caring about people or leaving a trail of broken or dysfunctional relationships behind you is from hell, actually. It isn't being godly. It isn't being spiritual. It isn't being religious. In order to fulfill Jesus' command to love our neighbor, we have to have successful people skills. We've got to know what relates well and how to do it. We've got to understand people. We've got to understand relationships. And we have to actually study and learn how to do it because our relationships define us. Every relationship moves from stranger to acquaintance to whatever the relationship is, whether that's a working one or a friendship or family or whatever. Every relationship starts shallow and it moves deeper at a slow or quick pace, depending on a lot of factors. But they all start shallow and new as a new acquaintance. So what I have for you this morning really is, for some of you this will be like, oh man, this is stuff I learned in kindergarten, and it is, but it's stuff a lot of adults forgot. <laughs> some of this will be brand new revelation, like, oh, I did not know that uh, about myself, or I didn't know that's how other people thought about that. So some of you will have shocking revelation, and others of you will think this is really basic stuff, but I just want to talk to you about how to get along with people, because I actually have to read and learn how to do that. As I have told you before, it doesn't come real natural for me. The first interaction we have with anybody is a first impression. When you very first make eye contact with somebody, whether that's on the subway train or the school bus or at work or it's the customer on the other side of the counter or it's your spouse first thing in the morning, whatever the relationship is, the first interaction is eye contact. Acknowledge that eye contact. This may sound really, really simple and almost stupid, but it's dishonoring to not acknowledge eye contact. If you see somebody in passing or on the bus or wherever you're at walking down the sidewalk, and, they, and you're looking at them, and all of a sudden they turn and look at you. Don't do this. That communicates that you are a psycho. I am so afraid, I can't even make eye contact with a stranger. If you avoid eye contact, you have a problem. Eye contact is the beginning of relationship. It is the very first connection we have in 99% of our interactions with other people. Like, well, I don't care. You're a you-know-what. <laughs> Acknowledge the eye contact with a nod or a smile or a hello or a wave across the street at your neighbor. However it happens, neighbor's mowing the yard, stops the mower, gets a drink and looks across and sees you and you were staring at them and like, oh no, I don't want them to know I was staring. Hi. <laughs> Wave, nod, hello, whatever it needs to be, acknowledge the fact that we have just connected. 
Where I'm from in Missouri, every, every single old farmer in a pickup truck or a tractor does the one finger wave on the steering wheel. You know this? Have you been, seen the guys do this? When I was a kid, and everybody knew my dad in a hundred mile radius. Seriously, it's probably not an exaggeration. My dad knows everybody. So everybody does the one finger wave where I'm from. You're driving, you know, slouching out the pickup window. You do the one finger wave. So we have, we have a university in our, our town in Maryville, Missouri. It's a little larger than Eastern. And there was a kid in our church who'd come to school there. He's from Chicago. And his parents drove down to visit uh, him. And everybody they met was doing the one finger steering wheel wave at him. They stopped and got out of their car and looked up to see what everybody was pointing at. <laughs> nobody in Chicago waves at each other, apparently. At least not the one finger steering wheel wave. So acknowledge eye contact. If you don't, whether you mean it or not, and whether you know it or not, you are coming across as arrogant. That you are so self-absorbed you can't even smile and nod. You may not mean that. You may be really absorbed in scrolling your phone, and that may actually be really important at the moment. Probably not. But if you can't make eye contact and smile and nod, you are seriously self-absorbed. Whether you think so or not, the most important first impression is eye contact and acknowledge that. Um, You will come across as really crazy or really arrogant if you don't. Nod, smile, wave, say hi. Something. After our first interaction, and if you're just passing by somebody on the sidewalk, that's all there is. Hello, good day. Or you don't have to say anything. You can just nod. It's totally fine. But if you're going to interact with somebody more than that, then it's small talk. Then it's wading into this connection, whether it's a sales that's connection that's about to happen with a customer or it's uh, talking with your neighbor over your backyard fence or it's a co-worker or even a family member you have to start in with how was your day if your kids come home from school or your spouse comes home from work and you immediately bring up a heavy deep thought-provoking topic or you jump your kid's case. Why did you leave your bed unmade this morning? Instant defensiveness, instant, ah. All relationships, even our deepest relationships, need to wade in slowly. Every day. Your kid comes home from school. How was school today? What did you learn? Do you need a snack? Husband comes home from work and wife just unloads all the problems of the day. It's not good news. That may, you may really need to talk about that stuff. Wait until after supper. How was your day, honey? Small talk is actually very, very important. It is indispensable in relationship, even with the people we know the best. There, as I mentioned last Sunday, there's some people who think they're so spiritually mature or such deep people or mean they have such gravitas that they are above small talk. If you can't talk about the Seattle Mariners or elk hunting, how are you going to have relationship with anybody around you? 
if you can't talk over your back fence to your neighbor about the weather because you are too important and your time is too valuable and you have spiritual matters to attain to, you're certainly not going to win that neighbor to Jesus. You're going to come across as rude and religious and stiff and stupid. Awkwardness with small talk is a whole different deal. I'm sure a whole bunch of us understand that. How do I talk to my neighbor across the fence? Well, that's a whole different game. But for those who think it isn't necessary, I'm here to tell you it is. You've got to be able to talk about the Seahawks or the Mariners. Don't ever talk about the Giants. If somebody likes the Giants, cut them out of your life. You do, you do, not, you do not need that kind of negativity in your life. But you ought to be able to ask the guys at work, how's your last elk hunt? Or I noticed your new car. How do you like it? Or nice weather we're having today, huh? I would just stuff like that opens the door. You don't go kick down your neighbor's door and barge in their house and tell them what you want to tell them. No, you knock and you wait for them to open the door. That's what, it's beautiful weather today. That's what that is. It is knocking on their conversational door. Hey, do you have time to talk? And they'll say, yes. Hey, they opened their door. You understand what I'm saying? You're not at their door, you're in the shade tree or whatever. But, but we have to knock on people's door and allow them to in, let us into the conversation. And that's the point of small talk. It's the point of that surfacey conversation that some people think is really fake and stupid and useless. Well, it isn't. It lets the other person invite you in to their day and their life with conversation. And with a customer, it's, may I help you? You hate, hate, hate hovering helicopter salespeople. I do. Actually, sometimes it's even annoying to be asked, may I help you? If I needed help, I would ask. (laughs) But sometimes I am standing around looking like, what aisle is that in? And I appreciate being asked. I do. I've told you before, I can't stand going to Dutch Brothers because it's oppressive, (laughs) fake friendliness. In the name of customer service. But I don't like the guy at McDonald's who hands the bag out the window and doesn't even make eye contact. That doesn't make me want to go back. Small talk is when you initiate that contact after eye contact, then there's going to be more than a smile or a nod or a hello and then keep on walking down the sidewalk. If there's going to be more, small talk is that knocking on the door. Can we have a conversation? Are we going to pause and... And acknowledge each other. And there's people you can pass right on by and on the sidewalk, and it's totally fine. Or in the store. There's other people that you are pushing your shopping cart down the bread aisle, and you say, Hi, how are you today? It's great. And okay. And then you just keep right on going. And then other people you kind of know, but you forgot their name, but you know you should know their name. And uh, it's like, well, hi, how are you today? Good, I haven't seen you in a while. I haven't seen you either. All right, have a good day. <laughs> what else are you going to do? <laughs> it's just it's what you have to do. But then, of course, there's other people that you'll stand and talk to for 10 minutes or a half an hour if you're a really talkative person. So after small talk, after that casually sort of slowly wading into your day and and you're talking, whether it's your children or your spouse or, or a stranger. 
then really conversation begins. I read lots of books on leadership, communication, blogs, and I see articles posted sometimes on Facebook and things, and I read these things, and it is amazing the number of articles I have come across or books on the power and in communication, in conversation, the power of listening, of, of actually listening to what the other person is saying, how that creates trust, it creates relationship, whether you're talking about a sales relationship or a family relationship or a political debate, anything. Listening to the other person is what creates real, genuine connection and relationship. It is amazing that sociologists and communication experts and people can spend all this time and money on surveys and studies and observations and all they do is prove that Jesus is a genius. Because God says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. What? What God said 2,000 years ago is indeed the best advice you could possibly get for successfully relating to people and making them like you. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Really, listening is, is the key. Well, as they talk, listen. And one, the best way to prove you're actually listening instead of just allowing them to talk before your next statement because you know that's true a lot of times. You already know what you're going to say next, even though they haven't finished saying what they're saying. If you already know what you're going to say, you're not listening. The way to prove successfully, and really, I mean in truly in love, not in, oh, I have to fake this person out that I care about what they're saying. I'm talking about in real love, in real relationship, real connection. The way to show you're listening is to ask questions about what they just said. Because it proves you actually heard what they said, you are thinking about what they said, and you need more information. Hello? In a political debate, in a husband and wife argument, or in sales or in whatever, the key to show that I actually care about you and I'm listening is that you ask a question instead of offering a retort. Listen and ask questions, but also offer information yourself. We all know that people who over-talk are seriously annoying. It's 10 minutes in and this woman has not taken a breath and I'm looking for ways to get out of this conversation. But people who undertalk are also quite annoying. People who undertalk are a turnoff. And whether you mean it or not, it comes across as arrogant. Sarah and I have had numerous conversations and reactions and, re- and interactions with people that we thought were arrogant and who didn't like us. And I'm not talking about in a crowd. Can't expect everybody in a crowd to talk to everybody else. But in small social settings, we one particular couple comes to mind and we would be with them periodically and they would not ever talk to us. They would stick with this people over here and and we really thought they were super arrogant and did not like us. And we came to find out really it was just they were super insecure and they stuck with the people that they knew and were comfortable with and they, and they weren't stepping out of that. And we didn't, we just judged them. And now after years of interacting... We get along fine, and we can have conversation. We're not best friends, but we understand that we misjudged that. But it was because they didn't talk. 
You know, we, Sarah and I invited a family over not too long ago for dinner at our house, and it was the uh, first time we had related with these people, and, and we ha- had them over for dinner, and, and we began to talk over dinner, and we asked questions, and they answered. They did a lot of talking, and we learned a lot about them, but when it was over, it was like, oh, man, that was really hard, and it was not a connection at all, and we realized it's because they didn't ask one single question the entire night of us. It's like they didn't care to know us. They, they did lots of talking, not dominating the conversation. They were just answering our questions. But that's all they did was answer our questions. They didn't turn that around and interact. I had a really important lesson that I learned two, three weeks ago. A kid in our high school told Freedom, man, your dad was really unfriendly. And it really took me off guard when she said, when she told me this, because I had just seen the kid before, the night before, at the gas station. And we know each other, and so we had said hi, and he had come over to my window, and I'm parked at the gas pump, and he came over and he talked, and we, we talked back and forth, and he asked me some questions, and I answered them, and, and I knew that I was in a bad mood, and I knew that I was tired, and I just wanted to get home. But I really, truly thought I had been patient and friendly and answered his questions. And, but I knew that when he walked off, he was upset about something or disappointed or whatever word you might put off, whatever word you might use. I knew that had happened, but the next day when he went to freedom and said, your dad was really unfriendly to me, I was really bothered by that. I actually went and apologized to him. I said, hey, it wasn't you at all. It has nothing to do with with you. I was I just had a bad experience that afternoon here at the church and I was was thinking about that and but what I did wrong was that he asked me two questions and I answered them. And I answered them with more than one word, which I'm pretty good at. You can ask Sarah and the kids, ask a question to get a one word reply. Someone I'm driving, I'll have Sarah text for me. Somebody will ask me a question and I'll tell her the answer. She said, You really just want to send back one word? Yep. Why use four when one does the job? (laughs) Could we have an exclamation point or a smiley face after it? No. (laughs) Am I smiling right now? No. (laughs) Okay, so I had answered the guy's questions and with more than one word. But what I did wrong was I did not turn that around and interact with him. I didn't ask him how his day went. Come on, hello? I under-talked. Even though I received him, I said hi, he talked with me, I answered, and I let it drop. That was what I did wrong. I, I did not return back. It's like when you send the email to somebody and they don't answer back and like just lost in space. <laughs> hello? People who over-talk are seriously annoying, but people who under-talk come off as very arrogant. Self-absorbed, selfish, too busy or uncaring, or at least the very minimum, uninteresting and unfriendly. So speak up yourself. Don't be so private or so intentionally questioning of the other person that you don't offer anything yourself. You meet people that make you uncomfortable because they're too relative. 
I do. They, they don't have an idea of personal space, and they get up right here, and they ask you 12 questions at once. Okay. Don't do that to the point of not offering yourself in the conversation. Listen to what the other person says. Ask for clarity. It shows you're actually listening and considering and trying to understand before you answer or reply. Make eye contact with the person and not your phone. And don't argue without thinking and listening. It's fine to speak your opinion and to debate somebody. But I guarantee you that if you ask two or three questions, let's say you're having a political discussion with somebody, if you ask two or three questions after they've spoken and shared their view of the issue, if you ask a couple of questions for them to clarify, it shows that you care and are thinking about what they actually said rather than they just have your pre-programmed retort ready to go. And if the, it may not even be conscious of it, but if you ask a couple of questions, then when you offer your side of the doctrinal or political debate or whatever it is, it will be received way better if you have listened first than if you just are two people shouting the cliches at each other. Nobody's listening. Nobody's learning. Nobody's caring. They both just think they're winning the argument. Same thing probably in a marriage argument. We should try that sometime. Have you um, ever been in a room where there was a person who was obviously the center of attention for good reason. I don't mean the class clown or the show-off who's trying to draw attention to themselves, but you were in a group of people that obviously there was one person there that everybody loved and wanted to talk to and really likes, and and they're just sort of like, that's, that's the center of the attention in the room and in, in your class at school when you were a kid or or at work there's just this one popular person and sometimes that's a bad negative thing because it's show off or it's uh, somebody trying to draw attention to themselves I don't mean that I just mean that this this person was such a natural charmer that everybody loves this person they say that person has charm that person is charming. He's a charmer, right? If they're being fake, I don't mean that. Do not do the salesman thing. I, nothing turns me off faster than a fake smile and a handshake. But the person who is genuinely warm and welcoming and affectionate and, and popular in, in the right way, I mean, we call that charm. What's that have to do anything? Charm means a magic spell. Well, those kind of people do kind of put people under their influence like we love those people and we like them and we would do about anything for them and and the whole crowd does yeah we call it charm for reasons of the people and i'm again i'm not talking about hypocrites fakes salesmen i'm not talking about that of the people who have a genuine charm about themselves what is the common denominator of those kind of people If I read and study and think on the people I know, the people who are the center of social activity, that people want to be at their house, if they're in the room, they want to go say hi to them, they're continually smiling and warm and popular for good reasons. I don't mean popularity, high school popularity contests, but 
what creates charm. It is, again, it's amazing that what God says is true. These people that everybody likes are the kind of people who are interested in other people. They're genuinely receptive, warm, friendly, likable people. Why are they likable? Because I feel liked when I talk to them. I don't feel like this person is too busy for me. I don't feel like this person is annoyed by me wanting to be with them. I don't feel like this person uh, thinks they're smarter than me or is too good for me. Well, what is that? Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, make yourself the servant of all. Jesus, once again, is proven to be a genius. When that his, his commands are not only good toward him, they benefit us toward each other. That when we put other people in front of ourselves, the charming person asks questions. They're interested. They want to know. And how are you? And they're smiling. And Jesus said, if you make yourself the least, you will be the greatest. If you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, make yourself the servant of all. And so essentially... The people that everybody likes just have good manners. It's really just it's everything I learn need to know I learned in kindergarten. It's don't interrupt, keep your hands to yourself, wait to speak until somebody else is done. It's really simple stuff. It's keep your mouth closed when you're chewing. It's say please and thank you. It's the stuff you try to teach your kids even when they're 15. We're still trying to teach them. (laughs) Relating to people really is just using good manners, whether it's customer service or at home with family at the supper table. Our closest, most intimate relationships and our public business relationships. Use good manners and you'll have a good name. And people will define you well. You're defined by your relationships. Are you defined as somebody who is obnoxious? Way too talkative? Likes to argue? Or are you somebody who's gracious? Not in your own opinion, in what other people say about you. Because your relationships get to define you. Do other people say you're gracious, kind, patient, forgiving? Be the servant of all. Be present to serve, not to be in control. If you're not in charge, you can offer input, but never instruction. If you are in charge, you need to offer instruction. Where you have authority, use it. But if you don't, you can offer input, but not instruction. Uh, Something else that's really, really important for relating with people is that you need to have a we attitude instead of a them and us. Don't let your view of work be the managers versus us or the employer versus the union. Satan divides people up and causes conflict. The person who is a team player, the person who is genuinely interested in everyone succeeding will himself or herself succeed very well it is shocking to me how many people here in our church who have attended here for years will say about something that happened at the church you guys did this 
or you all need to do this. And almost it's like a gut punch. That when people who have, obviously this is your home church and I'm your pastor and, and you don't go anywhere else to church and you've been here and you say, you. That actually really hurts when you say you, meaning the church. When you refer to the church as you, because that tells me in your own heart you are separated. You've got to have a we and an us, ownership of your relationships. I see it happen in marital conflict um, in my office. All the, it goes, the language goes from we and us to you, 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 I, I, me, we, you, and all the we and the us disappears, and all of a sudden it's you and, and me. You've got to own your relationships. Stay with us and we, and you will win in loving your neighbor. Some warnings about what not to do. These are not loving. Don't complain. There's no bigger turnoff in relationship than somebody that unloads their problems on a regular basis. Don't be socially naked. There are very, very close people you allow to see you naked and nobody else gets to. So there are very, very few, limited, tiny number of people who get to know your big problems and nobody else needs to see them. We used to have a word for that. It's called a confidant. Somebody that was your closest friend or your closest lover, and they really knew everything about you. Now it's the world. Through Facebook is my confidant, and I just barf all over everybody. Nobody wants to be your friend. We want to unfriend you, but we don't because it will show up. I'm serious. Do not complain. Don't unload your problems on other people in a public sense. You don't have 15 confidants. If you think you do, you're wrong. There are not 15 people that need to know your greatest, biggest problems. There are one or two. Your spouse, maybe your pastor, maybe a sibling or a parent. That's about it. Don't cause drama. Don't gossip. If people know you are a gossip, they will not relate with you. Don't make excuses for your failures at work or in the family or in the church. Saying things like, I didn't mean to, you misinterpreted it, it was an accident, or just making excuses. Take responsibility and offer an apology. Ask how to make it right. Offer a restitution or a solution, and you'll be a success. Don't blame people for what bad things happen. You will be seen as unsafe person to relate with. Be super infrequent with contradiction or arguing or instructing. All of those things are necessary at some times, but not six times a day on Facebook. Be careful about humor. It is very often that I am involved in a conversation that gets going and people are cracking jokes and the one-upmanship begins and you go around a circle of guys and everybody's trying to get laughs and I leave that kind of conversation and I feel bad. I feel, 
at least like I tried to do the one-up and crack a joke and take attention, but sometimes what was joked about was really not good. At least all the guys are nodding. Uh, Humor can sometimes be very judgmental, very insulting. Be careful. Proverbs says, when words are many, sin is not lacking. The more we talk, the more we sin. And that's totally true when we get going. Be careful. I came across a Forbes magazine article uh, recently that I saved for this Sunday. It's nine traits about you that make you unlikable. Being a likable person is not a mystery. It isn't some natural talent. There are actually things that we can change about ourselves that will make us easier to relate to and more successful in our relationships. Nine traits, nine things not to do. Number nine is sharing too much too early in the relationship or in the day. I already said that. Your spouse comes home from work, don't unload all the heavy stuff. Start slow, work into it. You can get to talking about the big stuff, but don't share too much too early. Either your negative problems or your successes. Both are a turnoff if it's too early in the relationship. Number eight, having a closed mind. Somebody who passes judgment too quickly. Somebody you know isn't listening is a turnoff. Number seven thing that is unlikable is gossiping. People will not trust a gossip. Number six is name dropping. Somebody who's desperate for attention and likes to drop names or successes or accomplishments. Number five most unlikable trait in a person is pulling out your phone while I'm talking to you. Number four most unlikable personality trait is what this article called emotional hijackers. People who pout, people who cry, people who have their, hurt, their feelings hurt so often that that defines their relationships. Hello? Somebody who gives the silent treatment, somebody who's angry, or somebody who's crying all the time. Oversensitivity is another word for it. This article called emotional hijacker. Their emotions control your relationship. It is the number four most unlikable thing to the public at large. Number three, not asking questions in conversation. Number two, being too serious or too frivolous. If you're not ever laughing, people aren't having fun with you. If you're always laughing, people will get tired of you. They want you to have some substance. Some serious, be able to have a serious conversation. If you're the constant joker class clown, you're not going to have very many friends. That's the number two most annoying thing, is to be too serious or too frivolous, because what we know is you aren't real. You're hiding. I can't trust you if you're wearing a mask. I don't know what you're hiding. You're hiding behind a bunch of jokes and laughing, or you're hiding behind this serious I'm important kind of persona. And the number one most annoying thing in this survey anyway is people who brag. People who tell big stories about themselves. So essentially everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten. 
Share everything, play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. And I'm going to add, wash your hands after you flush. (laughs) Warm cookies and milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Take a nap every afternoon. Amen. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. Be aware of wonder. Remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup. The roots go down and the plant goes up and nobody really knows how or why and we're all like that. But goldfish and hamsters and white mice and even the little seed in the styrofoam cup, they all die and so do we. So in the meantime, Jesus is a genius. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. Make yourself the servant of all and other people will love you. And you will be very successful in your relationships. You will be spoken well of by the right people. And you will be loving your neighbor, like Jesus said. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We praise your name. Thank you, Lord, for your...